guys, welcome to the Hunt Back Country podcast today. This is episode number 257, and our guest is one of you, a listener by the name of Kurt, who recently, well, somewhat recently, completed a ruck challenge that we wanted to talk about. So going back to the beginning of this crazy year that 2020 has been, and when COVID hit, uh, obviously the world changed, and obviously we are still dealing with that. Kurt uh, took it upon himself to make the best use of that time. So during a lockdown, during a pandemic, Kurt, as you'll hear about, created a challenge for himself uh, that included a lot of hiking, hiking with weight, uh, as you might call the term, wrecking. So it was really interesting when we heard from Kurt to hear about what he did, how he put the challenge together, why he put it together. And ultimately, I just wanted to talk to him. I wanted to pick his brain about his story, and I wanted to share that with you, and that's what we're doing today. Before we dive into that conversation, uh, I want to thank Martin Yeti for the feedback on the podcast. And Martin, we want to send you some Hunt Backcountry and Exo Mountain Gear swag. So send us your shipping address to podcast at exomountaingear.com. One of the things that Martin said is, this podcast motivates me to get out of my comfort zone. Now, that's not the sole purpose of this show, but it is kind of a recurring theme that we come back to. Uh, Steve and I both enjoy challenge. It's part of the reason we love hunting the backcountry specifically. It's part of the reason we do things like the death hike that you've likely heard us talk about. And it's part of the reason we wanted to talk to our guest today, Kurt, because he took it upon himself to get out of his comfort zone. Guys, as we wrap up these hunting seasons this fall, head into the holidays and winter and, you know, weather turns crappy, it's easy uh, to just kind of shut her in, to kind of let training slip, to let challenges slip, to let the outdoors slip. And I just want to encourage you guys both now and through this episode to make a challenge for yourself, make some goals, don't wait for the new year, uh, don't wait for next hunting season, but really make a plan today for how you will remain active and challenge yourself and push yourself in the months ahead. So let's get into this conversation with Kurt. I hope you enjoy this one. And here we go. Uh, Kurt Boyle, I'm uh, 55 years old, uh, lived in Washington since uh, 1971. I'm originally from the East Coast, so from Pennsylvania, the uh, Pittsburgh area, but I've been here since I was uh, seven, Washington. Um, been law enforcement for over 30 years, was in the military uh, prior to that. Uh, my last hunt before going into the military and law enforcement for big game was uh, when I was 17, where I shot a cow elk, um, and that's back in Washington when you had to draw the cow tag. Now mm. it's pretty much that's all you can shoot unless you yeah. draw a bull tag. Um, and Washington's weird with their laws. West side, it has to be a bull. East side has to be a, a cow. But then um, I uh, got um, getting near retirement, and about five years ago, my all my younger friends, 30s and 20s, and uh, they're all uh, – hunting and one person said hey you want to go hunt with us so i did and uh i decided to go out and hunt and uh, got addicted again but it was bow hunting so mm -hmm. my main focus has been bow hunting and uh i all the animals i've harvested so far except for 
grouse and coyote have been with my rifle. Um, but uh, my main goal is to focus on bow hunting, get as close as I can to the animals. Um, but so the last five years, um, I've been back out hunting, loving every minute. And most of the hunts, though, have kind of turned into solo hunts um, by myself. Um, I may meet up with people, but then go out. But so I have, you know, three daughters and two granddaughters. And uh, I had to marry my daughter, had to marry me a son. Um, <laughs> and uh, uh, I think that's about it right now for the yeah. for my history. And so currently I'm getting ready to retire from law enforcement. So it's been a lot more time bow hunting. It's, uh, you know, we, we hear from quite a few folks who pick up a bow or even start hunting for the first time, you know, in their adult years, but, uh, just starting with a bow at 50, man, it's never too late. That's awesome. And now you're hopefully have a whole bunch of years being retired here shortly to really get after it. Yeah. I, it's, it hasn't the hunting for me, hunting and tracking, I, I can find anything. I, it, that's, that's always been my, well, cause that's what I did for a lot of years in my career as a, as a tactical tracker and uh, on our SWAT team for many years and a sniper and things like that. And then the military infantry instructor. So it's always been tracking people. Um, finding animals is great. Uh, harvesting animals, not so good, um, but, <laughs> uh, but it's been fun. I, uh, year before last, I, snuck in on a a big five point uh west side um rocky mountain elk so the west side of the cascades but they're still considered rocky mountain if they're east of i-5 and uh missed it but i really didn't know what to do after that and then i listened to a couple of your podcasts i was like okay i should have been doing this (laughs) (laughs) and i just missed and watched him walk away when I probably could have taken another shot because he didn't even know I was, he didn't even pay attention when I missed him. (laughs) But it was cool. It was cool. That's cool. We, uh, you know, we mainly want to talk to you today about this challenge that you did during COVID and a ruck challenge. And we just thought it was really neat. But before we dive into that, what what you just mentioned there about having experience tracking from a, you know, a human perspective for military law enforcement, you're training there. What, Anything that stands out of what helped you then translate those lessons to then hunting or tracking animals? Like, I, I've never talked with someone with your background, so I'm just really curious what lessons you have or like experiences or tips you even have for like applying what you know to a hunting situation in terms of tracking. Well, I, I it's it's interesting because you know basically sound, smell. Um, uh, motion or visibility and being able to conceal yourself, you know, when you're tracking, um, when you're tracking people and, uh, or you're trying to get in close to them to set up a sniper blind or to ambush them or to whatever you're doing on the law enforcement or military side, you have to pay attention to those four things. The difference between an animal and a human is the human really knows you're coming. And they have um, enhanced ability to see you and hear you because they have listening posts and observation posts and things like that. And even the bad guys, a lot of times, if, they, if they're doing something illegal, like running a cook or running some type of other illegal operation, like marijuana grows, outdoor marijuana grows, when we used to do eradication, um, 
they have stuff set up. So they're, they're already on high alert looking for you. And the other thing I learned is about uh, odors that if you understand the wind, um, even with humans, because you can smell them smoking, you can smell them eating something or doing anything like that. I really, my biggest thing for when I'm out stocking the mule deer in Eastern Washington or even the still hunting for blacktail or anything is really playing that wind and understanding unless they're in a high pressure area, they really, the only thing that we're looking for, maybe if there's not a lot of predators is they're really not really looking a lot of times. So I can, that's what I've really used to get in very slow movement, very figuring out what camouflage is the best um, concealment for me and being able to, if I can hide in plain view. And I always mess around with that. I go out with, even when it's not hunting season, I'll go out almost standing in plain view and, and sit there and uh, get and let animals get, see what I am, but not be able to see me. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. They see that something's there, but they're not picking out necessarily the human form right. or the danger of that. Right. Right. So no, just those things about stalking. Um, I'm not a, I have a hard time sitting in a tree stand. I like to move and I like to s- still hunt and to uh, spot and stock. Um, so yeah, I, those are the things I've really been uh, working on and comparing that to my p- professional career into putting it in my hunting career. Mm. Yeah, that's cool. So this challenge is the, you know, we got in touch via email. You just mentioned in passing that you're doing this rec challenge and I was super curious about it and thought it'd be fun to talk about and uh, the listeners sure. could either get some ideas from it or learn some of the lessons you learned from it. But just what is it, you know, when COVID hit, I know it's basically something you decided to put together at that point in time, but talk to us about really why you did it and kind of how it was structured. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so I'll, I'm the kind of guy that likes to try to look at the positive stuff uh, of everything and try to lighten things up a little bit. So they're not so, um, so we always aren't so depressed and things take things so seriously sometimes. Um, and so I, I've been in law enforcement for 30 years and when COVID came down, people were hunkering down. I called it the, uh, awkwardly, uh, the, the awkwardly awkward disease because people see you and they, they turn away and hunker down and hide and because of a virus that's out there. So one of our things we've been doing is just focusing on the virus and in the fusion center and checking the numbers and staff. And I said, you know what? I need to do something. I need to be out of the house. I can't be in the house. I'll practice proper distancing. So I decided, you know, I need to exercise, work out, and I want to give back to behind the badge foundations for fallen officers and the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention for people who have um, taken their own lives because they feel like there's no other options or way to uh, get help. Um, so I decided to start rucking and I started that April 1st. So actually I did it for three months, but I just did it on my own. I'm just going to ruck and, uh, and uh, started rucking. And I just used the number 2019 when the virus came in, <clears throat> excuse me, and uh, said, okay, well, I have to ruck a certain amount of miles a week, carrying a certain amount of pounds a day and have a certain amount of pounds at the end of the week. So that's what I started doing. And I, I just wanted to make sure I gave back to the to my fallen officers and friends and, and other people that I know. 
And then after the first month, I go, you know what? I'm actually going to put it out there. And if anybody wants to donate, go ahead and donate to these two foundations. And uh, it was kind of nice because we actually got several thousand dollars donated to Behind the Badge Foundation because they would let me know who's donating, which I didn't even ask them, but they did anyway. Um, and I'm not sure about the other foundation, but so I said, oh, that's cool. So um, I decided I'm just going to keep doing it um, when people started giving and do it till June 30th. Um, and uh, so the big goal was just to give back and to see if I could go 90 days rucking every day uh, with different poundages and different miles. So basically I called it a death hike from a nine, from 90 little rucks. So, (laughs) (laughs) but so that's the reason I I started doing it. And that's um, the big thing was to give back to, I've had many friends who have died in line of duty and I've had several friends who at the end of their careers, for some reason decided they couldn't go anymore and, and took their own lives. And I've been blessed to have made it home several times, you know, and where I didn't think I should have, um, and, uh, always come home to my family. So, hmm. uh, I thought I'd give some back. That's great. That's awesome. So the, the 2019, you had to carry at least 20.19 pounds a day. You had a weekly, um, goal weight of 201.9 pounds. Mm-hmm. And then also, um, it, it was it a weekly mileage of 20.19 miles as well. So you had like the three aspects of 2019. Is that the structure there? Yes, because the weight daily weight, if you did the minimum weight, didn't make the weekly weight. So you had to actually figure out, you had to push yourself in the weight yeah. part. Uh-huh. Most people only have a couple hours a day. But when I said, when I started the challenge, I said, you don't have to do it every day, but you got to make that 201.9 pounds, which means 202 pounds. Everything you had to go one pound more. And um, as and the one reason I did that as a martial arts instructor or in the military, when we do PT or do exercises, you never told them what you were stopping at. So, or when you did, you never stopped at that number. You always want one more because people prepare, put in their mind, ah, I have to make it to this number and I'm done. Well, if you're doing a cadence and pushups or you're not giving them the number, they think they know what they're stopping at, but then you keep going and it just, it messes with your mind. Right. It's just like, oh my gosh, I got to do, and it, you, you, you take, you, you have to build that internal strength to say, it doesn't matter where I stop. I got to keep going. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so yeah, so on the weight, it never matched out. And the 20.19 miles a week, I realized that working as much as I did and with everything that was going on, I was like, that's hard from rucking because like my prevost said, you can't run, you have to keep. And if I ran, I wouldn't have made it because I would have blown my knees out. Um, cause I've had surgery, two surgeries on both my knees. And, uh, so <laughs> you have to walk and walking at max speed, especially when you're carrying weight is not more than four miles an hour, especially when you're hitting hills. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. So the 20 was harder actually than the weight. 
getting that mile. Yeah, I mean, that's a, as you said, you're working full time in law enforcement. You obviously have a family. So just managing all that time, how are you fitting that in? What did a, a week look like in terms of how much time you had to invest to make that happen? So, it, so May was going pretty good because it was pretty quiet out there. There was no, um, there were no big events, no riots or anything going on. So, and April was really good too. Um, now, uh, April was probably the easiest month because there was just nothing going on. So I could do my miles. Some days I'd say, okay, I have to do it two day. I have to get up early in the morning, do it afternoon, do it. So I get two rucks in in one day if you get the poundage um, or the mileage. And so then May came around, I decided I want to go turkey hunting and I went twice. So I was like, hmm, the first time I rucked up in the mountains. And so there's a, I think I sent a, a picture while I'm way up in the mountains with my backpack, uh, grouse and turkey hunting. So I used that as one of my rucks, but I made sure the pack had enough weight in it. So I was meeting my criteria. And then, um, then I, uh, so May got a little bit busier. Our trips were canceled. So it actually made it a little bit easier. Uh, but then June came and I started missing days. So I had to do some days where I was doing two rucks a day, morning and night. Um, and then I would try to do on the weekend, I would try to do one long ruck. And a couple of them didn't turn out the way that they were supposed to because we're still in this endless winter here in Washington in the mountains. Um, and there's places where there's still four feet of snow. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> the big trails up in the mountains kind of played havoc on that. But the goal was to, if I knew I had to make up some weight or, or miles, I would do it two a day. So I'd do two rucks in one day. Um, and then I would try to do a super long one on the weekend. What did you, I mean, that's a, doing that for a few weeks would be an adjustment <laughs> for a lot of people. You did it for three months. What did you learn about your body, good or bad? What did you like, what did you realize became issues that you had to overcome um, just anything related to just kind of the physical wear and tear and maintenance along that much effort for that long time. So I always say the 55 is a new 30. Um, <laughs> just, that's good go news because Steve and I are in our 30s where that's good. <laughs> <laughs> well, you go back to this mindset right at 30, you still think you're indestructible, but then you realize if all these pains happen and you have to get surgeries at the end of your 30s and early 40s. <laughs> which I had nine surgeries to put myself back together. Um, <clears throat> but most of them were work related. Um, so what I realized is that I used to, um, I'm not teaching now, but I taught martial arts, Russian martial arts for years. And the biggest thing was, is that we concentrate on breathing structure, tension and movement and listening to your podcast with Mike Prevos. <clears throat> I've always worked out my whole life. Um, and really I understood about focusing on making sure your core and your, your body structure is strong, but also when you're moving weight is to make sure I was moving in the most efficient manner where weight is going through me and I'm not, weight's not hanging over to my front or to my back and making sure that the weight goes right through my core and my, I'm walking properly. <clears throat> and moving and not uh, dropping and pounding my body. 
So efficiency of movement through this whole ruck was huge when it came to the physical part. Um, <clears throat> but all, uh, also making sure I had the right um, shoes and pack. For clothing, it really didn't matter. But having those, uh, having that physical condition already was super important. Um, one thing I learned about it that you have to keep um, you have to keep working the rest of your body out. You have to keep uh, doing other types of exercises because doing a ruck every day, you just start. My wife <clears throat> said I, I was completely, I, I was kind of emaciated at the end of it because that's the biggest thing I learned. I need to stay focused on, um, on doing uh, weighted exercises for my upper body to keep it strong and other type of anaerobic exercises besides the rucking. But mm-hmm. again, those four things, breathing structure, movement, and tension were huge. in me being able to just go every day, throw that pack on and, and, and rock. When you talk about structure and how that weight is going through you, um, do you attribute a lot of that to posture with, your movements um could you kind of elaborate on that a little bit sure um so like in law enforcement our gear probably about 20 almost you know some guys depending on how much they like uh, you know extra crap they want to throw on their outer vest or their gun belts it can be up to 20 pounds that guys are wearing in a day um so 15 to 20 pounds but the problem is a lot of you guys throw these um uh uh, suspenders on, but they have nothing around their waist. I mean, I learned at a very young age that, that the weight needs to be on your hips, not on your shoulders. And so the, they would start, you'd see them start hunching because all the weight is pulling down and pulling them forward, or they try and they get pulled back. They, they were being pulled in different directions instead of letting that weight sit on your hips and sit on your core and pull you straight down where you're the strongest. And you're not having to use small muscles in your, your lower back or in most people's lower backs are weak and their abs are weak. And so, and, and stressing the traps and all the muscles up on top by pulling it down in the wrong direction and then having to use more muscle to, um, to pull yourself back into a straight position instead of just letting that weight <clears throat> settle down into the center of your body. So I've never been, I've never worn any harnesses when I worked. I always made sure my gun belt was tight and sat right on my hip. So I've never had, knock on wood, I've never had a back problem. And um, and so I use that in knowing growing up that if I got a proper belt and, and snugged it uh, the right way and had it in the right position, I could put as much weight as I wanted almost on my back and it probably wouldn't cause me hardly, it wouldn't cause me any problems and I could move with that. Um, so, and making sure that, you know, keeping the glutes and the quads strong and the lower back strong, I wouldn't have a problem with, with um, moving that much weight for that period of time with, uh, with injuries. I get, uh, <laughs> I get. I, I've been using our packs for so long that that's just like the baseline of my experience uh, with carrying weight. I did a workout recently. Uh, it was actually kind of a. It's for a friend of ours who's getting deployed, uh, and another friend kind of programmed this workout of like, "Hey, let's all do this before 
Dan takes off for his deployment. And it was the way the workout was structured. It ended up being anywhere between 60 and 80 minutes long, depending on how you completed it. But part of it was a weighted component and it was these different movements. I thought, oh, without instead of using my pack for whatever reason, I just I threw on a like a weight vest. And so I was carrying <laughs> 20 pounds, you know, essentially from the shoulders. Right. And I forgot how truly terrible that is. And then, like you said, not just the weight on the shoulder and the traps, but because all that weight's hanging down from that and then you're managing through your midline, like through your core and all that, like it, it's so much more work and so much more exhausting to carry even just 20 pounds. Uh, it made me kind of reappreciate, um, you know, to carry that through the hips, like, you know, if we do in our packs and things like that. Right. It's just like anything, like you know, people call it the plank, but we used to, in the military it was a front leaning rest position where you, you got trashed and they just put you in that position or you, we, and in, in Sistema Russian martial arts, we called it a static push-up. Well, you'd sit there in a push-up position for 15 to 20 minutes. But if you understood about resting on your structure and not resting, using the muscles to support, you could sit there a long time and not have that much discomfort. But if you try to muscle through it, you're never going to make it. And you're going to cause injuries to your muscles because you're going to go too far and you're going to start. Uh, straining them or ligaments and tendons so yeah that was important i mean shooting the military we use these you know the alice pack which is four pieces of metal with a with a strap going across the back i mean that's agony that <laughs> and you got a little strap that you can tie when pretty much our buckles and tighten it up that's brutal that that trashed you and we never put the waist strap on because you couldn't because a lot of times you had to go to the bathroom so you just you know, going on a forced march or something, you just did it while you're walking. But so, um, but those Alice packs were just brutal. The new ones are much better. Um, and it's nice that they allow people to get their own packs that if they meet the criteria. But yeah, those, those military packs are just death. Yeah. So, so hit on like equipment and gear a bit. You mentioned, which, you know, Steve and I have said this, I don't know how many times on, um, podcast in terms of hunting but you you said it outright to me like in the end for you it was all about having a proper pack and boots and everything else was you know non-essential or didn't really matter as much um but just elaborate on anything i mean you could hit the footwork topic that you found worked well or didn't work well through this three months of wrecking okay so and there's several boot companies that have like um that have the the laces so boots i'll start with boots the laces that come all the way almost to the very top of the toe box. Um, yeah. And those trash my feet because they tighten up too much in the toe. I need to have an open toe box where my toes can move around a little bit and right up the ball of my foot where it starts tightening down. Um, so I use Loa boots. Um, and for me, uh, they fit the best. I found a I don't know, a farming supply shop down over in Eastern Washington that had like every Loa boot you could ever imagine, go figure. And, uh, and so I, I used two different boots, the Tibet, which was, um, a trekking boot. So it was the heavier with the rubber sides, heavier boot, uh, uh, stiffer leather. And then also the Renegade, which was their lighter boot. And I just found out they make it a non, they make a non, uh, Gore-Tex one. So that'll be great for hot summers if I ever get one, but I had the Gortz, which caused your feet to sweat a lot. But the, the Renegade, they both had the toe boxes are more open. So my toes can move. I could 
structure tightened the boot down where I needed to. And I'm a big leather guy. I like leather boots because during years of military and well, when we first started military, we had pleather boots. So basically these plastic crappy, cheap things that would rot on your feet. But, um, but so when I get a leather boot and it gets fitted just right on my foot, it's like wearing a glove all the time. And you can, and the ones that you can resole are just awesome because you, you've got that glove that you can keep reusing and reusing all the time. Um, so the lower boot was a life, uh, it was a lifesaver because with all the miles and all the concrete I did, you know, I, they never broke down. They just kept going. And uh, my feet always felt good. Didn't, I think I had one blister the whole time I did this rock. But I had them so broken in that they, they felt like gloves putting on my feet. But they gave me the, if I was doing a heavy rock, I would use the, the Tibet to give that, that massive foot support. And with all the different um, adjustments they have on there, I mean, it's, the technology they have is amazing that you could adjust different parts that that boot fit perfect. And I could do 108 pounds for five miles with no problem. And so, um, and then on my light days, I'd put that light renegade on and I could go, but it still gave me that support I needed um, for my feet. Uh, and then also I, I love the, um, the super feet inserts, um, great insert, but I tweaked them a little bit. I'm always tweaking my gear a little bit. Um, but I put up, kind of created a bigger, more drawn out arch support. So there's not like a ball on my foot, but it, it gives me that perfect arch support. So my foot's at the right angle. Um, so those make, I had to make sure my feet were going to last three months. Yeah, can you elaborate on how you tweak that? I've just never heard of someone, well, I'm sure plenty of guys have done it. I've never heard of someone like kind of tweaking or, you know, building their own structure within a footbed, for example. So like with the super feet, they got the plastic, hard plastic on the bottom and then the soft part on top. Yeah. So I would take mole skin and I would peel that plastic part away a little bit, not enough to tear it all the way off. And then I would um, build up and could put my foot back on it and build up some more until I had that perfect support from the back of my arch all the way up to right where my uh, toe would go or my um, the ball of the foot, not the ball, but the um, where the, the bunion is or the uh, joint to the big toe mm -hmm. um, and build that up because my feet are so much different on each side. I had to make sure I adjusted them both right to each foot so that, and then once I did that, then I could, do my other ones and just make them all the same and then rotate them and so that they wouldn't completely break down. But moleskin, you can do all sorts of cool stuff. And you can also take some little pieces of rubber, thin pieces of rubber and build them up in there too. And it just gives that kind of personal touch to them and just gets that right arch. Because yeah. unless you get a custom arch built for five, 600 bucks, you can't, they, they don't fit arches. You know, you got to tweak them a little bit. Yeah. So, huh. And so what I, I, what I do is I go out and find out where the hot spots are and I'm walking, not where it gets real hot, but you can feel the pressure points. I think, okay, I need to do a little more here, there, there. Okay. I have no pressure points. The foot feels like it's flat, but there's support everywhere. I like it. That's cool. Yeah. Um, how about with a pack? I mean, you're, you're talking about spending three months in a pack essentially every day. It sounds like with loads from 20 pounds, do you mentioned a hundred plus, what did you learn about 
fitting a pack, being in a pack for that much time, that much weight, uh, what stood out for you? Well, I watched Steve's video many, many times just to make sure, okay, am I doing this right? Okay, got it right. Um, so, uh, so basically just making, you know, it, it's amazing the, the, the way the, making sure that when I was doing the super heavyweight, that actually, okay, I'm going to do it more as a meat carrying pack this time. I'm going to have 50 pounds or so in the pack but then I'm going to put another 60 pounds or so on the meat carrier and make sure it's up in the right area, adjust it. Um, the, the toughest part was trying to get the thing off the ground by, by myself rolling around on the ground, trying to stand <laughs> up with it. <laughs> um, but just making sure that even with the pack and experimenting before I even went out to say, okay, if I do this and I crank that belt down, and um, get it in the right spot. Um, I can. I have the lightness on the shoulders. I don't feel it on my shoulders. Making sure that those um, load lifters are adjusted right. So it was. It was experimenting before I went on any long, uh, heavy weighted rucks. Because mm-hmm. one day I decide, okay, this week I'm doing 60 pounds every day. I'm packing 60 pounds every day for seven days, and that um um and i i want to make sure that i could keep my 3.5 miles that week up so an hour 3.5 miles an hour up and uh so i um i went and messed around with the pack and i did that uh that was right that was before i got the new k3 frame and so i was using the k2 but i had already got the new belt the k3 belt which gives that bigger lumbar support which i like i like a big big lumbar support going right into my lower back. Um, and that really helped out a lot. It wasn't sliding down because I was losing weight and losing my, my, my rear. So mm-hmm. it wasn't sliding down. And especially with the bigger lumbar support, it gave me that ability to really make those micro adjustments on the pack and to keep it in where it need to be. So I wasn't fighting the load going backwards. And so making sure that that load was up and in and, not low and out where it's pulling me or low or out and high mm-hmm. pulling me back where now I have to use muscles to keep it forward, which now fatigues me even more. So the big thing was, can I get the weight in and up? So it's pushing straight down my body. And if I can get that hip belt adjusted just right and the load lifters, then I can pull all that weight straight down my body where now, um, I can, I can move. Also, I, I learned that if you don't adjust on the K3, if you don't adjust it right for yourself, sometimes you can, I could feel, um, a little pressure point like on my, um, shoulder blades, but then I go, okay, this, I don't have the thing adjusted, right. I adjusted it right. And it was, it was super, I mean, it was like, oh, okay. I just had to adjust it one more. I had to make sure I, I measured my, my um, torso the right way so that this thing would fit just right. And once you do that, once I did that, I was like, Oh, okay. I had adjusted wrong because mm-hmm. it was hanging the wrong spot. It was hanging low in the wrong spot for me. Yeah. But that was just a one time. I was like, that's not right. So I went and adjusted it. And it, after that, I was like, well, it's perfect. That's cool to hear. I mean, it's one of those things where uh, 
just spending time with a pack. It's the same as any other gear, right? But the more time you spend with it, the more you're going to learn about it, the more you're going to figure out what works for you, what doesn't, and then how to get it dialed. And then once you know, uh, once you have that proper fit, whether it's on boots or packs or what have you, and you know what good feels like to you, then it's really easy then in the future to go, no, this isn't right. Just like you just said, like, this isn't right. I need to tweak something here. Um, and that makes it super easy to get dialed moving forward. Yeah, it, 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 it was, um, uh, it was interesting because I, when I got back into hunting, I was like, I had, I had old military pack, which was the old Marine Corps one weighs about a hundred pounds empty, but it's, it was an, uh, um, it had all the padding, but it just never fit. It was an internal frame. And then I tried some other stuff. I go, this is just, this isn't fun anymore. <laughs> and so then my friend goes, Oh, you should listen to this podcast. I didn't even know what a podcast was. And, <laughs> and now you're on one. <laughs> yeah. And so your podcast was the first one I ever listened to. And, um, I thought, Oh, it seems pretty interesting. And when I, I try stuff and sometimes I go all in and I said, well, you know, you can't, you can't decide if you like it or not, if you just kind of poke around the edges. Mm. So with boots and pack, I just said, I'm going all in to see if this is the two things that are going to make my change my life. And for me to be able to move and some of the places I went on these hikes and some of the adventures I've had, um, they both were, they were awesome. They, they, the, the packs were, I mean, and it's not a sales pit, but the packs were amazing. They, they, they are, they are uh, amazing and they're tough. <laughs> Trust me. They, they took a beating and, uh, they not one little problem, but they, again, being able to adjust them, do these micro adjustments and get that weight through the center of your core. Um, it, it, it really changes the ability to keep moving day after day after day. So, and so like with, with other clothing, it didn't matter. Yeah. Especially you're out, you know, two, three hours a day. You're not, you know, you have somewhat control over the elements you're exposing yourself to. And even if you are in bad elements with somewhat improper, necessarily not ideal clothing, it's a, it's just a matter of toughing through it for a few hours at that point. Right. Right. Yeah. And cut up just a little bit. I'm going to do this. Yeah. This is, there we go. Okay. Um, Oh, it's yeah. So, I mean, a couple of my hikes turned out to be like 12 hour one, one hike, which was only supposed to be a nine mile hike turned out to be a, a supposed to be a, just a three and a half hour hike was, uh, turned out to be a seven and a half hour odyssey. And <laughs> so <laughs> how did that happen? <laughs> because winter hasn't ended. So, yeah. So there, I, I mean, you cut out a little bit, so I didn't know if you want me to talk about the actual hike part yet or oh yeah no feel free to dive in um so most of my hikes were around my the neat thing about washington or where i live is in 20 minutes i can be in national forest and hiking up in the cascade mountains so um that worked out really awesome and um i can be we call it the cascade alps which are the lower hills and they're only they only get up to about three thousand feet but um, a lot of stuff was done around my house because I have these areas, these green belts, where you can go two to 300 feet up and down. And so those were a lot of the places I did a lot of my um, my rucking, my daily weekday, uh, weekday rucks. And then I would try to go out 
into the Cascade of Alps or out into the actual Cascades. And I know you guys hunted up on Kodiak Island. And so basically, we our mountains go from sea level to four or 5,000 feet. So they're not... But so they're not as high as like the Rockies and you're not starting as high, but you're getting a lot of elevation gain. Mm -hmm. Um, And so uh, I did this one called McClellan Butte and uh, they had it, they had it, they had it blocked off at the main trailhead. So I got my Onyx out and snuck around and, oh, okay, here's where the trail crosses a forest service where I'll just park my truck here and start my hike here. Well, about about a third of the way in, I hit snow and like four feet of snow. And, uh, I said, well, I've started, I'm finishing. And, uh, it, it was tough. And so my average speed was a mile an hour because I was post tolling. I was sliding down snow shoots. I was, it's one of those things where you don't, you, you go, well, that guy was an idiot to go up there by himself, but you're that idiot now that says, I'm going to make it, <laughs> right, <laughs> I'm going right. to, I'm going to continue in it. <laughs> Uh, I did have my little spot, uh, Jeep, uh, that spot rescue, uh, tractor thing. So, so if I slid down a snowshoe too far or off a cliff or something, somebody could find me, I guess. Um, so I, I made it up to the top and I ended up at 5,500 feet, but it started at a thousand feet and it was six miles to the top from where (laughs) I started. But, uh, yeah, the winds were howling. It was snowing and rainy, and there was no trail. So I kept going off trail because it was so much snow. So I kept having to go on my GPS and say, "Okay, where am I?" Oh, I went the wrong way. So that that and I took a little extra gear with me. So I had about maybe about a thirty pound pack on that one, and uh, it. Uh, I'm glad I took the extra gear, but I didn't think there was going to be any snow and. Uh, Every time I post told, the problem was it was always on the downhill side. So I'm like hanging over, mm-hmm. you know, trying to pull myself back up. And post, um, uh, post holding is when your leg goes all the way in the sinks all the way in the snow up to your basically your crotch, and you have to pull yourself out. And you can get pretty stuck in those things. Um, and so I I had to use my poles to dig myself out and keep going. But that one, yeah. So I didn't get my ten miles. I got um, I think it was six miles in seven and a half hours, um, mm. which would have, shouldn't have taken that long. <laughs> um, yeah. So, six but, miles in those uh, conditions is like 50 miles on a trail though. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. It was, it, it, it was an adventure. So I, you know, I realized, okay, well, the snow hasn't moved out, so I better stay a little bit lower elevations. Um, and, and do it. So then, uh, and do my hikes more in the lower, uh, cascade, uh, foothills. So then my last weekend, I decided that I had to, I had to put some miles on. So I was going to try to do a 30 mile one. You know, I listened to your one where you did that 40 miles in one day, um, out and back. Was that mm-hmm. 40 miles you did? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was, uh, and you, uh, so I said, oh, okay, well, I'll do 30 miles and I can do that. Um, so I went on the Pacific Crest Trail, and that's the trail in Washington that goes from Canada to Mexico, along the Cascades and the Sierra Nevada mountains. And so I started at 3,000 feet, 
and then went up to the top of the crest and then all of a sudden ran into a ton of snow. I kept going and my speed kept dropping. I said, well, this isn't going to work. So I went, I, I did a total of 13 miles, turned around, came back, ran down, got down the mountain really quick and said, okay, well, there's another trailhead. Well, I'll go up that one. So I went up that one and uh, again, ran into the snow and the ice and the lakes were frozen, turned around, came back, found another one, went up that one. And I just kept going up down these trailheads until I got 21 miles. I went to at least get 20 miles, uh, 20.1 miles of 20.19 miles. So I, um, I kept having to run up and down these trailheads <laughs> to get my miles. My feet, I was soaked. It was rainy and just nasty. And, um, but, uh, yeah, so I ran with the lightest pack I could. I had 23 pounds in there. So I made sure I had my weight, but up and down the mountain, trying to find trailheads that I could get some miles on. That was by another one of the other tough ones. But so, yeah, so those, um, those were probably the two worst rucks. And, um, and then one day I had to get some miles. And so I did a 108 pound, uh, ruck for five miles. And then I did another, uh, 26 pound ruck in the evening for another five miles. (laughs) That same day as the hundred. Yep. <laughs> wow. Uh, so I, again, I, I, I have to say it's, it's because of the equipment that let me do these things. Um, but nutrition, I mean, I was eating all the time, but I still look like I just got off a deserted Island. <laughs> <laughs> My wife says, you just look disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> What's it so during the hike on longer hikes, you know, multiple multiple hour stuff where you have to take in some calories? What did you find that actually worked well for you during the effort, food wise? So a lot of bars, a lot of heavy bars, but um, so I, I like um, bars, and um, I like using the the protein and other cliff bars. But uh, I I made myself fatty sandwiches. So if I took a break where I'm on a flat or relaxing, I would make like ham sandwiches with mayonnaise and heavy, like Dave's killer bread, the heavy bread, um, and just wrap them up and eat those as going. And then I would make, uh, heavy peanut butter and honey sandwiches because honey is a great superfood, but that stuff would keep me going. And then I'd have my bars and I have beef jerky. Um, and so I would have it where I could just keep reaching in, uh, cause my, the, the cover um, for the pack, I could just reach my arm back unzip it and reach in and pull something out. So I just kept pulling food out and eating it and stuffing the stuff in my, my pocket or my little uh, hip uh, weight belt. But the big thing was um, I made sure that I had lots of um, fatty food, but also lots of high calorie food um, and, and carbs. Uh, The other thing I really, I looked at is that I would keep, either a five hour energy or like a zip fizz or liquid IV. One of those things to while I'm in the hike, just have a bottle where I could just pour the water in, shake it up and suck it down. Um, because it was more of a, a workout than uh, it wasn't a, you know, the joyful 
I saw a lot of cool things. You know, I loved being out in nature. Didn't wear a Walkman or anything, but it was this was a workout, and I needed to keep fueling my body. So, and then at home, I made sure that uh, I ate a big meal, big breakfast, big meal in the morning. I always eat a big breakfast in the morning, but be starting my day with the proper energy before doing the stuff I do in the afternoon. Yeah. Well, Kurt, I, uh, it's, it's just always cool to hear guys out there challenging themselves, right? Like, I, I love that you tied this into raising money. Um, you know, it's obviously a great cause. We fully support that. And I'm excited that that was part of it. But even if guys aren't making that a component, just getting out there on your own, creating your own challenge for yourself um and then sticking with it like you said you you've started this you're going to finish it even when it gets hard even when uh the conditions aren't ideal i just i love that so thanks for sharing the story and the tips and the knowledge and all that and hopefully this will inspire some guys to to get out there and make their own challenge and do it i i hope it does i mean i appreciate you listening to my story and um thanks for the great equipment and it's uh it's worked out well but uh I have to find my next do. Well, there you have it, guys. Be sure to make a plan for yourself. Stick to it. Set some lofty goals. Get outside. Challenge yourself in the months to come. And as you do, be sure to let us know how it goes for you. We would love to hear about the challenges you create for yourself and what happens along the way with that. So reach out at any time to podcast at exomountaingear.com via email. And that could be to tell us about your challenge or to send us any questions, comments, or feedback for future episodes. We'd appreciate hearing from you. We'll talk to you soon.